Hey there, everybody. This is Dan Fagella at Tech Emergence, uh, where we interview um, researchers, uh, entrepreneurs, and investors in the domain of emerging technology. Uh, today, I'm lucky enough to be on the line with Oxford right now with a uh, scientist, author, broadcaster, governor of the Florey Institute of Neuroscience, amongst many, many, many uh, other accolades. Uh, this is Baroness Susan Greenfield. How are you today? Hi, call me Susan, Daniel. <laughs> okay, <laughs> certainly, yeah. Susan, great. Well, uh, hey, I'm, I'm glad we're in touch. Um, I, I know uh, I, I had a couple questions I wanted to dive into just based on this, the things and the topics really in your wheelhouse. And the first uh, topic we're catching up uh, off mic here was some of the technologies that you see uh, most pressing in terms of, of human enhancement, uh, the things that are most on your radar right now. Okay, well, perhaps the most straightforward one to start with is deep brain stimulation, where you can have electrodes, as its name suggests, implanted into the human brain yep. and then um, observe uh, transformational effects. One very good example of that is with Parkinson's disease, Indeed. where one pioneer, for example, a man called Tipu Aziz, who's a neurosurgeon here in Oxford, is showing that you can actually stop a patient um, tremor um, almost miraculously. Um, with this deep brain stimulation. Now, that's not to say it's curing Parkinson's disease, but it is giving the patient a lot more uh, comfort and feelings of well-being, um, more at ease socially, um, if they are not obviously shaking in yep. the way that's characteristic of that disease. So that's one very good um, advance. I don't think deep brain stimulation in the future is going to be used to enhance otherwise healthy people, because okay. I think relatively few people would volunteer for um, major brain surgery, which would be... <laughs> Um, harmless, well, not, not necessarily harmless, but um, uh, painful and uh, expensive and unpleasant. So, uh, and in a way, I think that technology is, is self-limiting to people that feel they have a, a very deep therapeutic need. Yep. That's not fine. Um, more, um, I think, sinister is Google Glass, which is huh. changing a healthy person's perception of the world. Um, and uh, my, my own view is that um, it will be um, ten times more um, invasive, as it were, than the mobile phones were, in that um, once you get used to having reality augmented, um, it's like being on permanent Facebook all the time where you're bombarded with information about people and things that you're seeing, it'll be very hard to take them off, you know, so I can imagine that once people um, are used to wearing them and used to living in a world that's enhanced in that way, it'll be very hard to go back to the boring old um, simple five senses. Moreover, because they are very distinctive with their little device in, in the top corner of your eye, um, this will be a status symbol, a bit like smartphones are. And as soon as you know, some people have them, everyone will want one because this will be a sign that you're hip and trendy and cool and all the rest of it. Um, so I can see them as a tsunami almost taking off, lucky for Google, um, in terms of sales. Um, and what it means, I think, is very profound, and I don't think people have thought through um, exactly how being so hyper-connected is going to be. It will be way more, um, I think, significant than even going around with your mobile because you have to physically operate your cell phone um, or you're sitting at a laptop. You know? So this will be a different type of um, interface that we haven't really thought through. So that does concern me in, in terms of, of development. In terms of other human enhancements, things like taking modafinil, which people do because they think that enhances their memory, um, this is founded on a rather shaky type of neuropharmacology because there's no drug ever that will target something as specific like just memory. Um, what drugs do is they work all over the brain at different chemical 
um, areas. And what they will do is change, for example, your arousal levels. Modafinil will make you more excited, just like amphetamine will, um, like nicotine will, for example, mm-hmm. um, which has also, incidentally, um, been claimed to enhance memory and help with memory. Mm-hmm. Really what it's doing is actually just making you being able to concentrate better or not be so sleepy. Um, and that's fine. But what worries me is that people think that that's in some way desirable or better. And if you take brains that we respect, let's take something like Shakespeare or Mozart or Einstein, they weren't known because they had super memories. They were known because they were highly original thinkers. And I think the people that are after cognitive enhancers are, in fact, um, from the very get-go, barking up the wrong tree because the whole point is, um, is to have an original insight or creative or imaginative view of something not just to turn yourself into a second-rate computer, i.e. to make yourself have a better memory. So I think that's misguided, um, both mm. in the sense of the goals and also in the sense of the understanding of how the drug works. So of right. those three areas, um, the chemical enhancement, the um, augmented reality of the glasses, or deep brain stimulation, deep brain stimulation I would applaud because it does have a true um, medicinal um, significance. Yeah. Um, the Google Glass is the thing that worries me most as being the most slippery. Um, I would hope that people eventually, if they understand more about how the chemical cognitive enhancers work, would see that they also have limited value. Yeah, okay, uh, very good. And that, that does lead us directly to sort of where, you, where we're headed next here. Uh, being kind of that, that topic of the slippery slope, I know Google Glass is kind of a classic example. Um, it's still an exogenous technology, of course. I mean, we're not necessarily talking about um, some kind of a, a, a literal uh, augmentation. But in many respects, as you had said, you know, that sort of is the case. And, and, you know, if we're used to that sort of immediate level of connectedness and if everybody else is connected at that sort of phase and level, um, how, how does the slippery slope get battled there if it does at all? Not only the slippery slope of wearing it all the time, but the slippery slope of it turning into the contact lens or, you know, the retinal, the retinal implant. Well, I think the slippery slope would be um, at one level, just the sheer mechanics of it, and that if it's there in your glasses, it's only a matter of time before it can be in other devices as well. Exactly. Um, and then, of course, subcutaneously, and then, and I've actually written a novel called Twenty One Twenty One. Yes. It's a set in the year Twenty One, which anticipates this very, this very technology um, of how people are so used to being hyperconnected and interfaced with a reality that isn't just coming at you through your normal five senses mm, yeah. and how that can actually change how people might be thinking and feeling. So yeah. um, I think that's one aspect that we might therefore have by the middle of this century or towards the end of this century um, a different type of mindset that the human race hasn't seen before in terms of what it expects, how it behaves, how we have relationships and so on. And I think that I wouldn't be naive to say that's either all good or all bad. Of course it will have but like saying it's a car for good or bad, you know, it will have benefits of both. But yep. we shouldn't assume that it's automatically a great thing to have. And if we do decide we don't like these ideas, then we should start discussing it and think of ways in which we could regulate it. Um, one example of, of how one can do this, um, I don't know in the States, but in the UK, when I was growing up, um, all ladies aspired to having a fur coat. You know, this was <laughs> simple. Um, and now, in London at least, in the, or in the UK, I don't know about the States, um, no one, no woman would go out now on the street wearing a fur coat because you would get shouted at, you'd get harangued and hassled, um, you'd be insulted, and you just don't see it. If you walk around in London, no woman is wearing a real fur coat, ever. Now, it's not that there was a law passed 
there's been no law passed, it's not illegal to wear fur coats in the UK, but the culture has changed huh. because of public awareness being raised you know, as to what fur coats mean. So I think that we shouldn't be too resigned when we're thinking about society and culture because it's in our hands to decide what we want. You know, the, the, the computers don't make the decisions, we do. And the culture does. And culture can be shaped as it was with the fur coats. And it's not easy, um, but we have to decide what we want. And if we don't like this notion of a load of people being hyper-connected all the time, then we have to consider how we can create alternatives that are more interesting and fulfilling, how people um, can have a better life if, when they take their glasses off than feeling that this is all there is to life. And I think that it's not easy, and of course it would depend on the culture and the resources and so on of, of each society, but we need to do this. And for the first time, we have the time and the leisure to do it. You know? And I think that it would be a great shame if we just threw up our hands and, you know, like lemmings, sorry, just you know, threw ourselves over some kind of cyber cliff. I think that it's, it's up to us to decide what we want our society to be. And we yeah. should start thinking and talking about that. Um, okay, lemmings over a cyber cliff. Uh, so, and, and in, with that being stated there, um, I like that idea of the fur coat. I think that that's an, an interesting um, notion and analogy. I, like yourself, I don't necessarily believe, you know, these, these uh, technologies to inherently be, you know, terrible or inherently be the greatest thing since sliced bread. I, I really think that it, it requires a lot of discernment. Um, you know, exactly. speaking, exactly. yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of discernment, simply because we're talking about potentially um, leaving our present human capacities, not just in terms of checking our email, but um, higher and, and further things. With that being stated, um, in, in terms of policies, laws, we're talking about kind of the, the changes in, in culture. What maybe for you, I mean, as, as science moves forward in these areas, whether it be stimulating individual areas of the brain, whether it be further chemical research with, with regards to, um, you know, you, you had mentioned uh, a drug earlier on, and, and mm -hmm. clearly there's plenty of examples there. You know, in terms of that vigilant discernment moving forward, are there any gaps where you feel like we're, you know, in terms of setting policies, laws, understanding this stuff, we're really not tuned in enough in terms of a certain kind of research? So let me have your perspective there. Yeah, I, yeah, I think what's very interesting is that people often confuse an efficient performance, as though you're a computer, with the best the human brain can do. And, you know, to emphasize having a good memory or multitasking or doing something quickly, I think is missing the point. You know, we're, they're not computers. There's, there's a, a wonderful quote from a physicist, Niels Bohr, from a long time ago, um, in the 20s, who said to a colleague once, you're not thinking, you're just being logical. And what we need to do is to actually divorce ourselves from the astonishing computational power of computers. They can do that. That's what they're good at. What we should be doing is concentrating on things that humans do, which is have imagination and creativity, um, and therefore a sense of fulfillment, and therefore a notion of individuality in each of us that individuality and others, and I think that we're barking up the wrong tree if we're just trying to give people better memories or make them more efficient at multitasking. That's not really what human brains do best, and computers can do better than us anyway. So why can't we focus on activities that are intrinsically very fulfilling, like having an insight into a scientific or arts problem or creating something, which for me is seeing the world in a different way. It's joining up the dots in a different way that helps you understand something, whatever it is. Yeah? And I yeah. think that more research should be into how can we create environments where people can be maximally individual. And that's not to say they join up with everyone else all the time. And my own view 
is how the connectivity is abandoned because to be incessantly connected with others means that you might be eroding your own privacy and individuality. And whilst, of course, we want to talk and communicate and interact with others from time to time, to varying extent, um, to be constantly a node in a machine, constantly a small cog in some kind of noosphere, as someone once said 50 years ago. You know, I, I think that we might be missing out on some of the most marvelous things, what it means to be human, if we do that, because to be human is to be an individual. And tied in with that is to be creative. And I think that the more we could work out brain processes that help us do that, See, I would like to see an environment that then lets one be creative rather than trying to find some, you know, smoking gun or some magic, magic easy answer of a, of a brain error or chemicals that you just do this and you just do that and instantly you're a better person. Um, I think our culture is breeding expectations of instant gratification or instant this and instant that and, you know, the quick pill that makes you this or that. Yeah. That's missing out. The whole point is to have your whole life and to learn from your living of your life, <laughs> not to just instantly take shortcuts. Um, and sometimes the tendency is that you take an instant shortcut. You know, you have the, the news in a sound bite. You have information summed up for you. Yeah. Anything. You cut and paste. You know, you hyperspin. Anything. Anything to avoid reading the whole book or thinking it through yourself. And I think that we need to somehow go back to taking more time to actually let our brains reach their full potential. And, and get into research, as you had said, that doesn't just kind of compare the human brain uh, with the computer in terms of an efficiency level, but yeah. but understand uh, sort of uh, p potentially understand again. You you had even mentioned fulfillment, imagination, creativity, exactly those exactly. sort of topics. And, and then the big question: well, if, I, if I ruled the world, you know, and gave money out for brain research, <laughs> for me the most exciting question is how the brain generates consciousness, which you know shades into philosophy and is one of the most exciting questions in science. Um, but you know, people just shy away from that because it involves subjectivity and it involves you know, um, almost crazy questions and, and, you know, having to really stretch your mind as to what kind of answer would come up with that. But they're the kind of exciting, intellectually demanding questions that I would like to see rather than just how can you do some quick fix to make someone a second-rate computer. Yeah, and, and, I, and I also, I, I definitely, I certainly don't want to come across as though, you know, I would believe that, uh, you know, anybody that leans in, in any sort of an enhancement direction would be doing it purely for the, you know, amoral, lazy factor, but I think I, I know yeah. where you're coming from. I know where you're coming from, where many of the types of, you know, technologies or tests or experiments might sort of be in that direction of of more of the shortcut um, as opposed to yeah, kind of exactly. the enrichment of life. And you can't have a shortcut to being creative. You can't have a shortcut having insights into the meaning of life, I'm afraid. You know, there's yes. no easy answer. The other, the other thing I don't like about the enhancement ideas is why do you want to be better than someone else anyway? You know, what's, what gain? Have a better memory. And were that the case, and were wholesale in our technologically privileged world, we could in some way mark ourselves in some way superior beings, all of which, of course, is false, that would introduce a neo-colonialism that makes the old colonialism of the old world seem trivial. You know, if you have the techno-have versus techno-have-not. Yeah. Imagine if in the States and the UK you had a load of people with whizzy memories and enhancements and so on, and in sub-Saharan Africa you have people with no access to drinking water. You know, I mean, that would just make a world that would be impossible to live in, I think, you know, on ethical and moral grounds. And, and why would one want to do this anyway? You know, why why can't one just be oneself? The whole point of the human brain is that it adapts to the environment and it can be exquisitely stretched to be anything you want it to be, you know. And 
that's the whole point of it. So to try and improve on that is almost impossible. And the improvement is merely to compete with others in some computer-type skills. I think that that's a rather sterile goal, and one that, again, is missing the point of what it means to be human. Yeah, and no, I, I would agree. I think that any any you know enhancement for for the sake of uh, you know competitiveness and coolness uh, certainly would be would be a misguided aim and objective in the first place. Uh, Professor Greenfield, I know we've gone or Susan, I know we've gone a little yeah. bit over time here, but at least we got to explore some of the questions that we'd have down pat. I, I want to say thank you so much for being able to take the time across the pond to be able to uh, catch <laughs> well, thank up you with for me getting this up morning. So early. I know that uh, we're recording this, and it's. Um, Five o'clock in the morning for you. So thank you. Not a big deal. Yeah, of course. Hey, I'll let you know when the uh, when the article's wrapped up, and I'll make sure you're the first Please person do, to see it. Then I, I could link it to my website. That would be very helpful. For sure. Great. Hey, thank you again, Professor. Uh, okay. Well, have a great day. Great. You Take too. Care. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out TechEmergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see. All of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, then be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week.